listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. A couple quick things I want to remind you all of. Uh, we have our men's retreat next weekend, first ever men's retreat. If you haven't registered to sign up, it's going on. It's Friday and Saturday. You can do that online. So I want to make you aware of that. Also, we are a couple weeks out, but we're having a family meeting on February 6th is a Sunday evening. We do it twice a year, and it just kind of let you know what's going on, uh, what happened in the past year, celebrate wins together, things like that. We're actually going to meet at 5.30 on that night, but we're also going to meet a little earlier for those who want to eat together, and so we're uh, putting together some plans for that. That'll be on the 6th, so we'll eat probably 4.30-ish, 5, and then we'll meet from 5.30 to 6.30, have you out of here by 6.30 that night. So just put those things on your calendar. That's for our family for our members, and uh, we got some kind of big things that we're going to talk through on that night, so just put that down. Love to have you there, so. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I got hooked on the show a couple years ago. Some of you probably are fans called Stranger Things. Uh, there you go. So, you know, waiting for the next season to come out. It's a, it's a show for those, many of you are like, I don't know what that is, and that's fine. It, it's a show, basically, uh, it's a typical 80s drama, which is my favorite kind, but basically the government is playing around with something they shouldn't play around with, and they create a, a portal to what's called the upside down, which is basically a parallel dimension to our current dimension, but everything's the opposite, right? It's, it's just, it's, that's a dark world, this is a light world. Everything there is, is the opposite of the way it is here. It's the upside down. It's stranger things. And as we come to this, this Sermon on the Mount, I was thinking, this sermon is stranger things. It's, it's like a parallel universe. It is upside down from what you think should be said or happening. And it's more, no more evident in this first section of the Sermon on the Mount known as the Beatitudes. I told you last week in that little, there's that little transitional section in between Jesus's kind of baptism and going into the wilderness and, and the sermon is a little transitional uh, passage that teaches you about the preacher. And the first thing I told you about the preacher is expect the unexpected. He's going to say things that you don't expect. He's going to do things you don't expect. And no more evident than, than in the Beatitudes. The word Beatitudes, it's kind of our fancy word. It's from the Latin word beatus, which just means blessed or happy. And that's because every one of these statements is going to start with blessed or happy. And he's going to give us eight statements, okay? And really, it's, it's really what we all want to hear. He wants, he's going to tell us what the good life is. What does it look like to be blessed? I know that's Christianese. Right? It's a very Christianese, Christian word. You know, someone says, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Don't say that. No one knows what that means. You don't even know what that means. Or after a football game. Oh, I'm just, your team won. How did you feel? I'm just blessed. I'm just blessed by God. As if the other team is cursed, I guess, because they lost. All right? So, so when Jesus talks about being blessed, he's not talking about it in those terms. Uh, the word that's going to be translated uh, blessed or blessed, depending on how King James you are. Um, is, means happy, content, satisfied. Those who are spiritually privileged, this is what the good life looks like. This is kingdom living, remember. This is the king, and he is describing for us kingdom living, the blessed, the happy, the good life. How many of you don't want to be blessed? Raise your hand. You don't want to be blessed. All right, so this is something that all of us want. The problem is, it's a little bit stranger things. It's a little bit upside down from what we expect, all right? So we're gonna look at what the Lord Jesus says today is the blessed life, the good life, the happy life, and I think it's gonna be a little bit different than maybe what 
you would expect to hear are definitely different from what the culture would say. And we're going to cover verses 1 through 12. Um, and we're going to move quickly because there's eight statements and I don't have a ton of time. Um, and and kind of big picture these things. But here's what you need to know right up front. This is not a sermon on how to become a Christian. Okay, Jesus in this passage is not evangelizing the lost. That's, that's critical. This is not just some moral code, be good, be nice, you get to go to heaven. That is not what he is doing. He is teaching his disciples, his followers. He is discipling them. Okay, that's, that's an important thing to see. And what, and what we're gonna see here is not only are these upside down, not only paradoxical, but they're also progressive. And what that means is this, you can't just pick and choose, okay, honey, you take number one, and I'll take number three. And we'll leave the other six out, but we'll just focus on that. Now, they, they build upon each other, right? And so the first one is gonna be one of the most critical ones for us to grasp. But let me read the entirety of our text. It's a familiar text. You've, you've probably heard it before if you've been in church, and then we'll kind of unpack it. Verse one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and while he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So he starts off, he sees the crowds. We saw this last week. He goes up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, Jesus is sitting here, not because he's trying to be hipster cool, get me a stand and a bottle of water, right? This is not some cool way uh, of teaching. This is what you did when you were a rabbi and you were sitting in basically the seat of authority. So in those days, it's, this is even more upside down. The rabbi, when he would teach with authority, he would sit, which I kind of like. Right? Like, let's just try this just for a second. Everyone else stand. You guys stand up. Come on, come on, stand up. You're, you're, you're tired. I'm going to sit. Okay, I can handle this. Now, no, we won't do this today, I know, okay. But that's the idea there, okay? So Jesus sits, and now they know he is going to speak with authority. And notice it says his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them. Circle it in your Bible, them. Okay, every English teacher knows when you're talking about a personal pronoun here, what is, it refers to what? The closest antecedent. The closest antecedent is the disciples. He is speaking to his disciples. Now, the crowd is welcome to hear. They are all welcome to hear. Just like on a Sunday morning, ultimately, I am speaking at its core to the, to the members of CBC. Now, everybody's welcome to come. Anybody can come in here and sit. But I am speaking, I craft this message for the members of CBC to be discipled in the word of God. And anybody's welcome, but that's what's going on here. So teach, Jesus is teaching his disciples the key to happiness, what the good life is, right? And it's a little stranger things. Let's look at number one. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, happy are the poor. 
Now that's an upside down statement. Happy or the poor, what's he talking about? Poor college student eating ramen noodles, driving mom's, mom's old caravan? No. And, and he's not saying poor spirited, right? Not the grumpy, blessed are the grumpy person that came in this morning, was miserable because it's raining as if we don't have cars and umbrellas, as if you're gonna melt or something, I know. Now, he, he's not talking about that. The prepositional phrase is critical. The poor in spirit, right? Not just financially poor, the poor in spirit. The idea is this, the happy person, the blessed person, the good life starts with the person who says, I am broken. I have nothing in me that can get to God. See, this is why this one is the most critical one. This is the soil in which all the rest of these grow. It's the person who says, I can't do it. I cannot get to God. I am broke. I am a spiritual beggar. The key to the good life, the key what Jesus says to the happy life, the content, the satisfied, the spiritually privileged is the person that says, I'm lost. I'm broke. And that is completely the opposite of what everything our culture tells you. We start off reading our kids. What? The little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, right? But I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And then get it to the top of the mountain and you come down, I thought I could, I thought I could, woo, yeah. And we're like, that's you, son, you can do it. You can do anything, you're gonna be 5'4", but you can play in the NBA. No, you can't. You cannot. But that's, that's what we teach. Blessed are the confident. Blessed are the ones who pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Blessed are the ones who, who never quit. Right? Who got it all together. Blessed are the ones who, who believe that they're truly good inside. People are just truly good, right? I mean, deep down, people are good. Everyone's got a good heart. That is not the kingdom of heaven. That is the kingdom of Oprah. And it's the opposite of what Jesus says is the good life. Now, there is a connection for financial riches and spiritual poverty, right? This is why Jesus was later gonna say, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Harder than a, a camel to enter the eye of a needle, right? Why? Because the rich person, the person who has pretty much everything they need, doesn't see any need. They don't see their need for, for things because I got three cars, I got a nice house, I got a beach house, I got this, I got that, I got that. I don't have any needs, it's why it's difficult for them to see their spiritual need because all their physical needs have been met and they're like, I, I, I got it pretty good. I got a bunch of money in my account. I could retire at 50. That's why he says it's hard for that person because they don't see their need. There's a key to seeing your spiritual condition. Here's my fear for us as a church, living in the somewhat wealthy city of Savannah. I mean, most of us say, well, I'm not wealthy. I mean, I'm middle, middle class. You are wealthy compared to the rest of the world, compared to history, all of you. The fact that you got here, on, you weren't riding a mule, right? And you have a house and a refrigerator, you're wealthy. And my fear is there's a bunch of people that sit in our chairs that are here because, well, maybe my, my mom made me come, my, my spouse made me come, but I don't, I don't really have a need. I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. I mean, I'm not the worst person, but I'm not the best person. I'm a good person. And you will miss the kingdom of heaven because you do not start with bankruptcy, don't start with, I am poor in spirit. And Jesus illustrates this constantly through the gospels. One of the most famous times is when two men go up to pray, a tax collector and a Pharisee. The Pharisee looks over at the tax collector and says, thank you, God, I'm not like him. 
I'm good. And the tax collector won't even raise his eyes to heaven and says, forgive me, God, a sinner. And Jesus says, which one went down righteous? The beggar, the, the beggar, the tax collector. Because what he's teaching is it's not that the religious people, the moral people get in, it's the broken people, the poor in spirit, the ones who see their need. Jesus says, I come for the sick, not for the healthy. No one goes to the ER just to hang out. I mean, anybody this week, like, I think, honey, what do you want to do tonight? Let's go to the ER. That's fun. Let's go hang out. Let's get COVID. Let's go. You go to the ER because you're sick, because you need a doctor. That's the point. The content, the good life is the person who says, God, I need you. I cannot break this, this addiction. I cannot, cannot stop this, this sin. I cannot this. I cannot that. I need you. He says, that's the content. That's the happy. Blessed is the person who finds their sufficiency in God, who's desperate for his help. Why? What does he say? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Notice the, the tense of the verb. Even the tenses of the verbs, y'all, are inspired by God. Understand this. The, the kingdom is right now, present tense, yours, if that's yours. That's a great blessing, isn't it? Right now, yours is the kingdom, if this is how you come. You come broke, you come as a beggar, but you don't leave that way. You leave as what? An heir, as a son and a daughter of God, right? That's, that's what he's saying here. So if you get nothing else out of today, the content life, the happy life, the good life, the kingdom life is the life that says, God, I need you. I need you. Nothing, as the hymnist wrote, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. That's the first one. Here's the second one. Happy or the sad? That's a little upside down, isn't it? Blessed are those who mourn. The ones who mourn. Now, again, he's not saying we should be grumpy, sad Christians all the time. That's, that's not the point, right? Okay, there's, there's something else going on here. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a field, and then he goes and sells all he has with joy, right? So this, he's not saying we're just supposed to walk around destitute, sad, and, you know, be miserable. I think it's helpful to, to, to understand what Jesus is talking about here to see what, did, what caused Jesus in his life to mourn. Have you, is there any times in the gospel when Jesus is mourn, mourns? At least two. One was when he's coming into Jerusalem before the crucifixion and their rejection and he, said, and he weeps or mourns over Jerusalem and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, that you would have let me gather you like a mother hen gathers its chicks. But you wouldn't. Another time is when his, one of his good friends, Lazarus, dies. He mourns, he weeps which I always thought interesting because he knows he's going to raise him from the dead in like three days, right? Why are you crying, dude? Oh, boy's just taking a little nap. He'll be up. But I think the reason is because both, both things are rooted in what? In sin. The rejection of the Messiah by Israel, it's sin. The cause of death is sin. Jesus is mourning over sin, and that's the idea here. Once you are poor in spirit and recognize your need and your loss and you see your sin, what is the proper response? It's a mourning and it's a, it's a present tense. It's a continual mourning, not continually like, oh, I can't believe I did this back in high school. Oh, I was such a knucklehead in college. Oh, I did this. It's not talking about reliving the past. That's not the idea. Once your sin is forgiven and you've repented of it, you turn from it, it's, it's done. But the idea is this, when the spirit convicts, when there's a failing in your life and, and the spirit of God shows it to you, there's not like a, oh, well, there's a mourning which leads to repentance. And the problem we see in the American church especially is we don't, Mourn sin. 
We laugh at sin. We justify sin. We blame. It's my wife's fault. We do the old Adam and Eve. Well, the, you know, the woman you gave me and the snake you did, right? And so we, we don't think about what sin cost God. And I'm telling you, if we, do, if we play with sin and we entertain ourselves with sin and we just, oh, it's no big deal, what ends up happening is there's a hardening of our heart, there's a callousness. And so what happens in churches like this is if we don't mourn sin, we end up saying, it's not that bad. And we end up celebrating what God calls wicked, which is exactly what happens in the scripture and we see it in churches today. Oh, it's not that bad, it's not that bad, it's not that bad. And we start justifying sin and calling what God calls evil good. And that's not the good life, right? That's not the good life. We are to mourn the, the posture of our heart when there's a failure is, is there's a mourning, a repentance. And what does he say? When you do this, when this is the posture of your heart, you shall be comforted. And it's in the passive voice, it's what theologians or grammarians call a divine passive, where God himself will come from the outside, the God of all comfort, as Paul calls him. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Second Thessalonians say, may the God of our Lord, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort, may he comfort. God himself will say, I know you did it, but I still love you. I know you did it again, the same thing you did this morning and you did it yesterday and you did it the day before, but you are still my son and you are still my daughter. That's real comfort. The one who in Revelation says, will wipe every tear from your eye. So if you want the good life, you want contentment, happiness, satisfaction to be spiritually privileged, you want to be the person that God blesses, just ask yourself this, how did you treat your sin from this past week? Blow it off, no big deal. Yeah, I had a few too many again, sorry. Or did you mourn it? Did you turn from it, you repent? Jesus says this is the key to the happy life, the good life, all right? Next one, blessed are the meek. Not a word we use a lot. Another word you could say is happy are the gentle. Now, when we hear a gentle, we're thinking, I know you're, you, you think personality. Some of you go to like the little snuggle guy, you know, hee hee, oh, you know, the little Pillsbury Doughboy. That's not gentle, that's not what he's talking about. The Greek word is, is a word that means strength under control. Outside of the scriptures, it's used of a, of a war horse that is kept under control. Why? Because it's got a bridle. It's got reins. It's strong, but it's under control. This is one of the few t- terms that Jesus actually uses to describe himself when he speaks of himself. He says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. The prophet Zechariah says, your king is coming riding on a donkey, gentle, meek. So this is a characteristic the scripture makes clear is who, who Jesus is. And you want me, a good example of meekness is this. Those of you who have kids, uh, especially the men, if you've ever gone outside and you've played football with your four-year-old, all right, okay, unless you are a really weird competitive guy, what you're going to do is you're gonna be meek in that situation. You're not gonna kick off and just go plowing through. Okay, special teams, let's go. Kick it off and you just take the four-year-old out and he goes flying. You, 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 dad rules, dad rules. You don't do that. What do you do? You go up and you're kind of like grab, oh, I'm gonna get you. And you know, if you have the ball and they're trying to tackle, you got three kids, oh, and then you kind of fall down. What is that? That is strength under control. It's meekness. It's not that you couldn't act, it's that you're restraining yourself. 
right? You're accommodating, right? It's not that you can't respond, it's just that you choose to respond in an appropriate way. That's meekness. That's gentleness. This is, this is what happiness, contentness, Jesus says is. And there's an interesting verse, I don't know if some of you have ever read this, um, in Numbers, where, where it makes this statement. The man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. I think that's a really nice thing to say. And then you realize, wait a minute, who wrote Numbers? Moses wrote Numbers. <laughs> How do you say that about yourself? The man Bill was very generous, the most generous man who ever lived. It, it almost, it's like you can't say that about yourself unless the Holy Spirit is inspiring you to say it. But if you read that little passage, it's a very interesting passage, chapter 12. What happens is this, Moses' wife has died, his first wife, Zipporah, and he marries a woman from Ethiopia. And his sister and brother don't like it. They don't like that he married an Ethiopian woman. And so they start criticizing. Is Moses the only one who God speaks through? What's the deal here? Oh, look at Moses, Moses, Moses. And God says, you three, come here. Brothers and sisters, come here. And then it says, Moses was the most meek man on the earth. And then what happens is God says to, the, to Aaron and uh, Miriam, with, with most prophets, I speak through dreams. With Moses, I speak to him face to face. So who, who do you think you are criticizing him? And this cloud kind of lifts and, and Miriam and Aaron both have leprosy. And Moses is standing there in the middle like, ooh. Now, if he wasn't meek, he would say, that's what you get for picking on your little brother. God told y'all. But what ends up happening is Moses ends up begging God, please heal them. Please, God. See, it's strength, but it's tempered. Right? That is what God is calling his people. That's what kingdom living, doesn't get a lot of press. What gets a lot of press is get what's yours. They respond like this, you respond like that. Throw your weight around. What Jesus says is happy is the controlled person that trusts in the Lord until he puts what is wrong right. That's why it's blessed. And look at the, look at the result, right? They shall inherit the earth. What's your inheritance? Maybe a car, a little bit of money, boat. Jesus says, I'm giving the earth to these people. Which, by the way, is another reason why I believe there's an actual physical kingdom. But that's another story, right? Because well, what does that mean then if, I'm not, if there's no inheritance of the earth? And what is, if it's just a spiritual kingdom, then what does that mean? But that's another story, right? The point is this, your inheritance is great. This is the type of person that God entrusts his stuff to. The meek, the meek, the controlled. That's where happiness is. That's where contentment is. That's what kingdom living looks like. Think about this week. How's your interactions with people? Would you describe it as meek? With your boss, with your spouse, with your parents, with your neighbor whose dog keeps crapping in your yard. And now it's raining, it's gonna be a mess. Is there meekness? That's, that's what Jesus says is the happy life, the blessed life. It's upside down, right? It's, it's stranger things. Here's the next one. Happy are the hungry. Happy are the hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And again, here's the progression, right? I see my need because I'm broken. I mourn over my sin. And in response, the fact that I get comforted is there's a gentleness and a meekness. And because of that, I'm gonna hunger and thirst for more. See the progression? And we get 
hunger and thirst. That's, that's two of the most basic feelings. In fact, just me saying hunger makes you think, I could go for a Krispy Kreme right now. I skip breakfast. I need more coffee. Why didn't I get a whole nother cup of coffee? Because we understand that. You all know what happens when you go to the grocery store hungry. You come back, your wife asks for, you know, Cheerios and zucchini, and you come home with Oreos, right, and chocolate milk. Because there's just a, a craving. That's the thing about an appetite. An appetite can be curved. It can be shaped, right? He says those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, that which is good, that which is true. The right thing to do, the, the right thing to be happening in your life. That which is good. See, that's why you have to be careful about your appetites. So I grew up, um, and this is before anyone really cared about, you know, BHT, BH, whatever, all these hormones. So we just drank good old-fashioned 2% milk in the Fowler household. Good, good living, good parents, macaroni and cheese, hot dogs, milk. Went off to Citadel at the college, and, and they didn't have anything but skim milk. And this was the first time I'd ever seen skim milk. I was like, what is that watery, uh, white, off-white drink that they are bringing to us? But I got used to it because four years, that was my only option, so I drank skim milk. And to this day, now, my appetite has been just shaped. I drink skim milk. Until a couple of years ago, my wife started buying this, this stuff, and some of you, you know what I'm talking about. It's called Fairlife milk, Fairlife whole milk. Now, I don't drink it because it's like $18 a half gallon. So we, and I figure, I need the hormones. Maybe I'll get the growth spurt, but we'll give this to the kids. So we give it to our kids, this, but once in a while, I'll take a little, like a little shot glass worth. I'm like, oh, that's good. That is good. <laughs> See, you don't know what you're missing when you're drinking the skim milk when there's fair life whole milk. But my appetite has been shaped. And here's the danger for us. If we, if we feed our soul with junk, that is what we will crave. This is why it is so important, y'all, Hear me out, I'm not saying you never should listen to music, you never should watch movies, I'm not saying that. But you should guard what you put in here. If you're just watching things that are sensual in nature, that are affirming everything the culture says about sexuality and everything else, you're going to start craving that and you're gonna be drinking skim milk instead of fair life. Right, this is why Romans 12, two says, don't be, trans- don't be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you know what is good and perfect God's will, right? If you are what you eat physically, and you are, then you are what you eat spiritually. So this is why Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure. Let your mind think about these things, worthy of praise. Those are the things you're supposed to be thinking on. Right? Those are the things you're supposed to be filling your soul with. This is why it is vital for you to renew your mind daily with the scripture, with truth. Right? And if all you're wa- doing is binge watching trash on Netflix, what do you think you're gonna get out spiritually? What do you think you're gonna hunger for? You're gonna hunger for that, right? And I would say this, one of the marks of the person who is in the kingdom is that there is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. There is. There's a desire, even a small one, to do what is good, to do what is right. If you have never in your Christian life desired to follow Jesus, desired what is true, I would say you better question whether or not you actually are in the kingdom. Because if you have a new desire that God has given you, you're gonna, even though it's gonna be flawed and it's gonna be you know, sometimes wrecked, they're gonna, there's gonna be there. If you have no desire to be with the people of God, 
And I'm not saying on a rainy morning, people that skip church are evil. That's not how I'm saying that. But if there's never a desire to be with the people of God, there's not a love for the brethren, there's not a love for truth. You don't long for the pure miracle of the word that by it you may grow in respect to your salvation if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord. If there's never been that, there's probably never been salvation. And those are not gonna be my words, they're gonna be Jesus' words. We're gonna see it later in this sermon. What's the promise though? Right? That the one who hungers and thirsts, they'll be satisfied. It's not gonna be like spiritual Chinese food, you're hungry in an hour. You'll be satisfied. You're, you will get what you desire and you'll want more and you'll get more of what you desire. Doing what is righteous, knowing Christ deeper, that is what blessed life is. Right? Next one. Happy are the merciful. This is my least favorite of them all. Right? Blessed are the merciful. And we get a little confused with grace and mercy. Uh, mercy is just the negative side, really, of grace. Grace is, is God's unmerited favor. It's getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So you go home today, you get pulled over by a cop. Right? You're speeding, you're going 80 on Truman. He pulls you over. He says, I'm not going to give you a ticket. That is mercy. He says, in fact, instead, I'm going to give you a, a good driver certificate. That is grace. Okay, that's, that's the idea, right? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What Jesus is saying is blessed, happier those who don't give people what they deserve, which is stranger things, right? Because what I like, what, I, what feels good to me, I like Cobra Kai Christianity. We do not train to be merciful here. Mercy is for the weak, right? That's, that's what I like. Isn't it, who, do, who else does, when someone does something to you, you, want, you think the good life, what will make you feel good is to do what? Is to one-up that. They were harsh, you're harsher. They something that, say something that hurts, you say something that hurts more, right? That's what feels good. But in the end, does that really make you feel good? Or does that make you feel like garbage, right? And Jesus says, no, happy are the ones, the people who let it go, who don't give people what they deserve, which is, again, there's a progression here. When you see your need, you mourn of your sin. There's a gentleness, there's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when there's more righteousness, I'm gonna be more merciful. Why? Because that's who God is. God is a God of mercy. We, Jesus is called a merciful high priest. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says, because of his great mercy has caused us to be born again. It's one of the fundamental characteristics of the king, so it's one of the fundamental characteristics of the kingdom, Right? And what does he say? What is the result? You'll receive mercy. And this is not a, uh uh-oh, I gotta do this to get that. That's not it. The idea is this. Because you've been shown mercy and because you will never have to show more mercy than God has shown you, the, the lifestyle, the good life, the happy life is people who don't hold grudges. It's, it's the marriage where you're not reminding your spouse what they did three months ago constantly. It's not looking at your 16-year-old saying, well, remember you did that. It's, it's not holding a grudge. It's not taking advantage of the person who is down, like the Pharisees who said, it says they devoured widows. It doesn't look for an opportunity to get back. It looks for an opportunity to release. That's the good life. That's the content life. That's the kingdom life. And it's upside down. Next one. Happy are the pure. Happy are the pure. Blessed are the pure, key word, in heart. Right? Because if you just said the pure, we might think, well, I got to do this, got to do that, got to do this, got to do that, right? He says in heart because the Pharisees were pure in outside. 
They, they looked pure as it can come. I mean, they tied their mints and their, their spice racks, right? They, they were, on the outside, they were the most righteous people around. And he says, no, no, blessed are the pure in heart. Not the people who say the right things, go to church on the rainy Sunday, not that. Blessed are the pure in heart. And the idea of pure is it's unmixed. It's untainted. It's, it's loyal. It's I love the Lord my God with my whole heart, soul, mind, strength. It speaks to motives. And see, the problem with our hearts is what? What does the scripture teach? They're deceitful. They're wicked. Like Jesus is later gonna say, you think it's what goes in your mouth that makes you defile. He says, no, 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 it's what comes out. It's from the heart. All sorts of nasty stuff comes out of your heart. So the problem you gotta ask for this text is, if the pure heart is, is where it's blessed and my heart is wicked, well, how do I deal with that? That is the point. You can't, which is why you have to go back to your need. And when you recognize I, need a, I have a need, you ask God, God, shape my heart, change my heart. And what God does when you become a follower of Jesus, when you become born again, is he gives you a new heart. Now there's still a pool, Romans 7, there's still sin, but what you do is when you identify that sin, you ask God, like the psalmist says, search my heart. Try my heart, search it. If there's anything in me, lead me in the way of everlasting. And when God says, yep, there's something in your heart, then you repent, you mourn over that, you find comfort in him and you move towards that. And if you wanna know what's in your heart, you're like, what's in my heart? Besides a blockage, because I've been eating Mickey D's all my life. What's in my heart? Just ask yourself, well, how do I speak? Because your mouth speaks that which fills your heart. And I was thinking about that and I wrote that down in my notes this week and I thought, that's good, Bill, that's awesome. And then I took the dog out this morning in the rain and the dog would not use the bathroom. And so I am standing there an hour and a half before I have to preach yelling at my dog to take a you know what because I'm getting soaking wet in the rain and I'm realizing what's in my heart? What's in my heart? And so there's an opportunity for me to repent. Say, that's in my heart, that's wickedness, Right? That's wickedness, but blessed are the pure in heart. The more you walk with God, the more you seek God, the more you repent of sin, this is how he purifies us. And what does he say? You're gonna, if, you, if this is you, you're gonna see God. The one you love, one day you will see. And it's in a, in a voice here, it's you will see for yourself, face to face. Right now you see in a mirror dimly and darkly. One day, face to face, you will see the object of your love if you have a pure heart. That's the good life. That's the content life. Two more. Blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers. I, I translate it, I say it this way, happier the hippies. And I'm not talking about Christian hippies where you wear a tie-dye shirt that says Jesus loves me or anything like that. But the idea is this, right? You seek to bring peace to wherever you're at. I think there's two aspects to this. There's number one, there's just the ministry of reconciliation that Paul speaks of, that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors for Christ as though God was making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's that aspect where we tell people who are lost how to be found. So there's a peacemaking there, but there's also the Romans 12, you be at peace with all men as best as it's up to you. You got an issue with this guy and it's your fault, his fault, it doesn't matter. You go to that person and you as best as you can be at peace. That you are looking for opportunities for reconciliation, for harmony, for shalom. You're not argumentative. You're not the guy in the board meeting that always wants to, to make sure everyone knows what you have to say and it's always contrary to everybody else. That you are not, and this is in the church these days, 
that you're not the one, whatever your position on vaccines and masks, that you're not the one that's making everybody feel guilty because they don't believe in your position, right? The dividing churches over your position. And I have positions, and most of you probably know them because I don't hide them very well. But that's not the issue, that you're looking for peace, that you're not drawing lines in the sand constantly and ultimatums and threatening, that you are uniting, right? That you're a uniter. And I'm not talking about uniting, all religions are the same. I'm not talking about that. You know that I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying all roads lead to heaven. I'm not talking about theological positions that are outside orthodoxy. Oh, we just need to unite with them even though they don't believe Jesus is God. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when there's conflict, that you unite. When you've done something wrong. This, this is an example. I can, I can, because I'm a peacemaker, I can say this. Congratulations to all Georgia fans. See, I can say that for two reasons. Number one, because God has made peace with me and him, so I can reconcile with you. And number two, because the odds are it's not gonna happen in my lifetime again. <laughs> every 40 years, 1942, 1980, 19, yeah, that's every 40 years. So I'll be dead by the next time, so I'll never have to say it again. So I can say it now. Congratulations. Enjoy it for the next 40 years. But the point is, God's people are peacemakers. Why? Because he is a peacemaking God. He is the prince of peace, the God of all peace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in Christ. How many times do we see that in the scripture? The entire Bible, the story of the Bible is how God is coming after those who have been alienated from him and rescuing them and bringing them back to himself, making peace through his blood on the cross. And so a kingdom person, a person who lives in the kingdom is, is peacemaking. That's, that's the good life. That is contentment. That is satisfaction. Happy are those who are the hippies. And then one more. Happy are the attacked. Happy are the attacked. Look what he says. This is the longest of his, of his uh, beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That does not sound right. Why? Not because you're lazy or whatever, but because for righteousness sake. Why? Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Same thing he started right now, the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile at you. Notice the when, not the if. Blessed when they revile at you. Why does he say when? Because all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted, period. And this is why there's a progression, right? You, mourn, you, you see your need, you mourn over sin, there's a meekness, there's a gentleness, you hunger for righteousness, and then you start showing mercy, and there's a heart for purity and doing what is right and being a peacemaker. And when that happens, you will be noticed by the world. And when you are noticed by the world as different as outside, they will, some be attracted to it, and others will revile you like they reviled Christ. And they will oppose you and they will attack you. That's what's going to happen. He says, rejoice. How is that possible? Because number one, your reward is great. And number two, you're in great company. The prophets, they did the same thing. When you were persecuted, even if it's just people making fun of you or knocking you or you don't get a job or whatever, because of righteousness sake, he says, your reward is great. Number two, you're in great company. You're with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and all those boys. Good company to be in. Here's what I think the takeaway here is. We spend a lot of time trying to please everybody and worrying about what everybody else thinks, except the only one who matters. And he says, when you're persecuted for righteous sake, that's pleasing to me. That's pleasing because I'm gonna reward that. I'm gonna put you in this group with this group of men, these prophets, 
That's, that's a good place to be. And I know that's not easy to see because we want likes and we want to be accepted and we want to be all these things and we want popularity. I get it. But we need to start thinking a little bit more about what's pleasing to God and not what is pleasing to everybody else, right? It's stranger things. It's the good life. It's a little upside down, right? But that's what Jesus says is happiness. Happier the poor, the sad, the gentle, the hungry, the merciful, the pure, the hippies, and the attacked. And ultimately, here's the reason why. I'll close this. It's not happier the ones who have big houses and boats and blah, blah, blah. Those things are fine. But ultimately, this is a person who is walking with God. And he is a good God. And he brings joy and contentment. This is what it looks like. It's not how to do it, but it's what it looks like. This is not how to be a Christian. Remember, this is what kingdom living looks like. When God has given you a new heart, when you started with, Lord, I am a sinner, I need your grace and salvation, I put my faith in your substitute on the cross, your resurrection for me, this is the starting place and this is what we are facilitating. This is what we wanna see growing and this is what the good life is. And it starts back at the beginning, poor in spirit. And so I'd ask you, as we kind of move to worship, what are the areas that you're like, yeah, a little bit of mercy, need, need, to, be, need to be hungering and thirst for righteousness so there's some mercy? Where, where is it that you, practically speaking, need to start digging in here? And it might be, for some of you, the starting place. Lord, I'm, I'm kind of a arrogant, I'm just jumping through hoops. I'm just, I, I don't see my need. Show me my brokenness and turn from it. Just cry out, Lord, I need you. I'm a sinner just like the tax collector. Lord, forgive me a sinner. That's the starting place to the kingdom, right? And if you have questions about that, we'd love to, we'd love to chat with you. If you've got questions about how to become a Christian, how to grow as a Christian, fill out a card, come talk to one of the pastors afterwards. We'd love to work with you and walk with you through that. That's what we do, right? So let me pray. Why don't you guys stand and we'll sing in response. Father, I thank you for uh, these upside down, but yet uh, just important, imperative uh, lessons from Lord Jesus on what it looks like to have the good life, the content life, the satisfied life. I pray that these would be manifesting, growing in the life of our church, that you would show us where we're lacking, that we would have the humility to hunger and thirst for that, that we'd have the humility to be broken and mourn even over that and respond with meekness and gentleness and peacemaking and purity. It's in Christ's name I pray.